What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rockstrikes 10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. Okay, thank you so much for your patience. I, I did not anticipate not putting out a show the last two weeks, and this isn't some sort of bullshit podcaster excuse. I had probably some of the worst sinuses I've ever had in my entire life over the last couple of weeks. I could barely talk three words without coughing up a fit. So I'm my voice is finally back. I've been putting together the shows, so you'll get shows. Don't worry about that. And as another reward for your patience, you're going to get yet another volume and an ongoing little mini-series I have within this show, which I do a few of those throughout this show, but... 
one that I definitely love going back to, and that's the concert chronology. This is now volume six of my personal concert chronology. So if you remember way back a few years ago, the last time I ever did this, when we last left me going to shows, we were in the spring of 1997, my graduation year. And that's relevant to bring up because the last show I talked about was the Metallica show in Fort Worth at Tarrant County Coliseum. Now, I bring that up not just to kind of say, when we last left off previously on Rock Strikes 10, I do need to tell you that it's been the biggest goal of mine as I do this, obviously with the word chronology, to do this in chronological order. And with that episode, I had my first screw-up where I fell out of the timeline and forgot to talk about a show. Not because it wasn't a good show, because I'm going to talk about it here at the top of this episode, but mainly just because I was doing that thing. I was leaning very heavily on you know my setlist.fm account, and for some weird-ass reason, this show, which is a very notable show and a big tour to talk about, this particular show that I went to with the C of CNJ Radio, my best friend and brother Chris, this show was not listed like it never existed on setlist.fm. So that's super weird. I'm going to try to actually get this show logged in and, and, and get it done right and everything and you know kind of put it in there so it can live in there, live in my account, and also let people know that this show happened. And this show I'm referring to, we only have to go back a month to April 23rd of 1997 to be exact. So not too much of a sin. I went a month ahead and I didn't talk about this show. We're going to talk about it at the top of this episode, of course. We kicked the show off today with a band that I played very recently on the show, on the Josh Freeze episode, The Vandals, which happened to be the first time I saw Josh Freeze live was at this particular show, April 23rd. 1997, the Will Rogers Coliseum in Fort Worth. This was the Tragic Kingdom Tour. Yes, this was no doubt's biggest tour. They had broken through to the mainstream and got a lot of us people to buy their record and go see them on tour. Saw them twice on this tour. We'll get to that other show later, I believe, on the next episode, actually. But let's talk about the headline show that myself and Chris went to here. Let's go back in time to April 23rd, 1997. It's a big show for us, a big night. It's one of those, I don't want to say rare instances, but I can remember a handful of shows where I know Chris was really even more amped up to see the show than I was, which is saying something because I'm always hyped for a show. Like, like more often than not, 99.9% to use a cliche, I'm always ready to go see a show hyped up pre-game, the whole thing. So I remember specifically, this is on a school night. We are still in high school. I'm a senior. Chris is a junior. And I don't even know if we had band practice, uh, high school band practice, by the way, drumline practice. I don't know if we had that after school that day. But what I do know is that we hightailed it out to the Coliseum that day really early to the point where we got there we parked. There was almost nobody else there. It was like hours before the doors even open. And our whole goal was we were going to meet all of No Doubt, get photos, become their best friends, the whole thing. Super fanboy stuff. And it was a good time. We actually went out there, parked in the regulation zone, 
And then we went kind of uh, trailed off to the side there because we figured, hey, look for a bus. That's what the deal was. In the day, you just look for a bus. Nowadays, yeah, you, you'll see tour buses here and there, especially at club shows. But sometimes it's like leave the bus at the hotel and get car service to go up there. That happens a lot too. But back in our day, we would go out there and we'd look for a bus and we'd just stand outside. And then eventually some members of the band would humor you and come out and, and always be very nice about it. At least that was my experience pretty much all the time. And this was actually no exception. We waited long enough that we got to meet pretty much almost all of No Doubt. We met all of the dudes in No Doubt, let's just say. So uh, we met Adrian and Tony and Tom and even Gabe and Steven, which were the horn players and keyboard players and backup singer guys. Uh, all super nice guys, really nice chill guys. I remember specifically, I think it was Steven that was riding around on his bike, like out in the parking lot uh, for a lot of the time. And we got all of our shit signed. And I think Chris even got his shirt signed. And yeah, I've got CDs galore signed, you know, the first three that were out and everything. So yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. So we get inside the show, and I think we know who the openers are. I, I'm pretty sure we have an idea going in. And the first band out was the Vandals. Obviously, I played them there at the top of the show. And you did hear the song, It's a Fact, from the album The Quickening. Well, yeah, I do try to play live versions, if I can help it here, and try to play it within the time frame of what I'm talking about. But I couldn't find a good-sounding live version if it's a fact. But I am playing that studio version off of The Quickening because I do specifically remember that they definitely played that song. And I think it might have even been the first song they played that night. I also remember them doing their version of Summer Nights from Greece, And I, I honestly can't remember a whole lot else. They did I Have a Date from Live Fast Diary. I remember that specifically. Uh, but they left quite an impression, honestly. And that's when I became a Vandals fan was that night. So... Also, another reason I'm really glad I went to that show. And this is weird. This would happen a handful of times throughout some of the shows we would go to. Especially this is a standing room GA. So uh, more often than not, me and Chris would get separated and just figure out a way to meet up with each other at the end of the night or maybe find each other during the show still. But I remember we were hanging out together during the Vandals and we were pretty close up because a lot of people hadn't arrived yet. So we got to see them really close. And then there was a middle act which I, I don't believe they were on like most of this tour. I think this was one of the handful of shows they did with no doubt, but the middle act was Cake. And honestly, not a big Cake fan. I've always found them pretty underwhelming. I don't hate them, but I just am not even remotely a fan. And honestly, I didn't have a great time during their set because for some reason, I mean, obviously... Not a lot of people that went to that show knew who the Vandals were. And even though they played very high energy punk rock, there wasn't a whole lot of like moshing or pushing or whatever. But when Cake came out, it was just like pushing and shoving and crowd surfing and all that bullshit that kind of makes a show suck for me, if I'm being honest. So I remember actually kind of just getting myself surfed out of there. <laughs> the one and only time I ever crowd surfed, I think. And I just got out of the middle and then I just reset myself I kind of just went to the back of the venue and that's pretty much where I spent the rest of the night was in the back of the Coliseum or over by the soundboard which is usually my area but I still had a great view the whole night and it was a super cool show especially the fact seeing the Vandals once again the first time and seeing No Doubt and people could say what they want about No Doubt but they fucking brought it live 
And I, you know, I even saw them in 09 on their reunion and they were still bringing it live. They are a very, very good live band. Excellent, high energy type stuff. And yeah, of course it helps if you're into them. But I, I would challenge anybody who's even like maybe even a hater to go see them and not be impressed by how good of a show they put together. Or go watch some footage, man. They got a couple of live DVDs out there. Quite good. But, you know, hey, I guess if you're not a fan, I'm not going to convert you. However, I am going to play some tunes to represent this show, like I do here on the Concert Chronology. So I stated that I'm not a big Cake fan. Like I said, I like a few songs. Some of their covers are funny enough from a novelty standpoint. But I figured I would play this song to represent this show that I went to. Uh, honestly, because I do like this song. Uh, you know, their version is okay. But I just like hearing this song because I associate it with the theme song to one of my all-time favorite shows ever, Coupling. Funniest show I've ever seen, probably, of all time is Coupling. I recommend it. The UK version, of course. They tried it in the US and it sucked. But yeah, I remember specifically that Cake did open up their set with this song. So I'm going to use that to represent their set. And then I'll play a little surprise track by No Doubt, which is a live track. And it may surprise you how good it is and how decently heavy it can be and how punkish rock it can be as well. So let's get into this twofer right here to finish off talking about this No Doubt show. We're going to kick things off with Cake's version of Desi Arnaz's Perhaps, Perhaps, Perhaps. Won't admit you love me And so How am I ever To know You only tell Perhaps, 
right, there you go. No Doubt Live from the Tragic Kingdom Tour, because that was from the Live at the Tragic Kingdom DVD. So that was Total Hate, a song that originally came off their second full-length album, The Beacon Street Collection, which is probably the personal favorite album. I, I would say, honestly, Tragic Kingdom is still the best album, but Beacon Street Collection is the personal fave. And that's kind of really my bubble of fandom. I've liked some tunes here and there since then, but... Like, top to bottom albums, those are the two best for sure. But yes, I always loved hearing Total Hate Live. Every time I've seen them, I think they've played it every time. It's kind of a band and fan favorite. So obviously a very high energy performance, and that's another reason I like hearing it. So there you have it. That was the tale of the No Doubt Show at Will Rogers at Fort Worth, April 23rd, 1997. I keep saying that because I'm not reading that off of setlist.fm. Like I said, I'm reading it off of my goddamn concert ticket stub and early, early on, I'm so glad that I had the wherewithal, which is going to fill in all these blanks in the, just in case some of these shows aren't on set list, it's going to fill in all these blanks. I would take the ticket stub when we had physical ticket stubs and put them somewhere inside of my CD, whether it be behind the tray, if it was clear, or even if it wasn't just a way of safekeeping, put it in the booklet, maybe, but yes. And it looks like my ticket stub is signed by Gabe McNair from No Doubt. So there you have it. Look at that. 462 Concerts presents No Doubt. GA Floor, $24.25, 1997 money. So yeah, you do the math and see how much we're getting fucked on ticket prices nowadays. Okay, so like I said, we're in 1997. After that show, going back to Fort Worth a month later to see Metallica at Tarrant County during the Cutting Stunts taping. If you did not hear about that, go back to Volume 5 a few years ago. You'll hear all about me talking about that show. It's an interesting tale, not just because it was a DVD taping, but go listen to the episode. You'll see. But after that Metallica show, so that show was on May 10th, 97. We fast forward just a few more weeks. I'm like Every three weeks, I'm going to a show now. I think 1997 might be my peak year of going to shows. I could be wrong. But as it stands right now, clearly this is the front runner. So June 1st, 97. And in Texas, man, I don't even know what we would consider the first day of summer. It's sure not June 1st. It's probably more like April 15th or something. Like tax day is when summer kicks off because that's when the temperatures do start to average probably over 90 degrees. I don't know how we did it like for all the heat back in the day, but it definitely used to not be this fucking hot. We, we are now in record season of temperatures all over the country and not to get on a whole thing. But I would say if it ever got into the triple digits, even back in the 90s, that was like newsworthy. Now it's just commonplace. Every day it's like this. So going to outdoor shows during the summer, which is what they like to do here. It sounds like I went through this like whole brutal thing. But, you know, hell, man, I was 17, 18 years old. Who cares then, right? Go to a show, man. Shows are everything. And June 1st, 97 rolls around, and I am super excited because we didn't get the first one of these, but the real first year of touring this in a lot of major towns throughout the entire summer, it was the inaugural year, really, for OzFest. So yes, my first OzFest is here on June 1st of 97. Big day. At this point, the regular gang is in tow, and by regular gang, I mean myself and Chris and Chris's parents, because Chris's parents are legit, man. 
they went to see Sabbath back in the day, and this is the year that Sabbath is coming back. I mean, in a sense, but in name and in spirit. So this is a big freaking deal. We've already gone to see Ozzy about a year and a half ago at Reunion Arena, and now Ozzy's coming back. We're all going to go see him. He's going to be outdoors at the Starplex. It's the first Ozfest in Dallas, and Sabbath is back. So this is a big fucking deal. Uh, the only other thing of note, if you went to Ozfest 97, then you might have a memory of seeing Marilyn Manson, which I don't know if he got put on the tour after these shows, because this is one of the first shows on that tour, if not the first. But I think he got added later on, but then he got banned in subsequent cities, so we didn't see Manson, fine. He's on the he's on the concert shirt I bought, so uh, this is one of those shows where I still have the concert shirt, and it's still in really good shape. So there's that, and as it stands with festivals, when I talk about festivals on the concert chronology, we got to talk about a lot of bands, but I'm not going to do the thing where I play every band that was there, first and second stage. I'm going to be completely dead honest and transparent with you and let you know the bands I actually saw, or at least saw most of their sets, which is only a handful. It's the first Ozfest, so it's not like a crazy huge lineup like they would kind of get later on. This is a pretty, I'd say about six and six between the first and second stage, if I have it right. So there were some bands I didn't see on the main stage, and I saw a few bands on the second stage. I know I saw at least a few minutes of this band, so I want to at least brag that I saw them for a little bit. I'm assuming I was just going where the wind blows on this one, and it was like early on when we got there, and so I either just came in at the end of their set, or we caught a few songs and then moved on. I was not super aware of this band, and I remember going, oh, this band is really cool. They're very, very heavy, so I'll check them out later. And the band, and, and don't kill me, Randy Brown, I didn't see the whole set, so it happened to be Neurosis. And, man, yeah, that's a heavy-ass band, one of the absolute kings of sludge metal. They're definitely on the Mount Rushmore. So I will brag that I at least saw a few Neurosis songs live. And I believe this was one of them right here, but as luck would have it, this song, kicking off a handful of bands I'm going to talk about here at OzFest 97, is this track right here from the OzFest Live compilation. And I gotta think, like me, this might have been your intro to Neurosis, and how would you not want to listen to them after hearing this song? So check out this brutally awesome, epic live version of Neurosis doing Locust Star. Turn it up. unconsciously signaling that we intended likewise to transform the world not only after the light but after the darkness. The blast that burns seven times hotter than the surface of the sun.
Okay, a surprise two for for you right there, representing Ozfest '97. And I did check while those songs were playing. I was at the fifth Ozfest show of that tour in Dallas. And yes, that was Drain Sth, the great Drain Sth, my one of my favorite two and through bands. They only have two albums out, and they broke up. And that was Crack the Liar's Smile from their debut album, Horror Wrestling, which is what they were representing when they were out there for OzFest. That's why I played that track. Couldn't find really any good high-quality live audio or footage. There's handheld stuff out there. It's a shame. They're just so not well-known enough, unfortunately, to where they have this kind of online presence, even in death. But hey, the record still exists, so that's something. So, saw Neurosis for a little bit on the second stage, and definitely made a point to catch Drain STH, because I had heard this record already, and I was like, these ladies are really, really awesome. They got a cool sound, and it was definitely a new sound at the time. So, we caught their whole set on the second stage. And then, as luck would have it, bumped into them, like, on the way from the second stage to the first stage. And as luck would have it, at some point that day, I had obtained... A big, huge Drain STH poster, which I, I don't think I paid for it. I think I got it for free, like at one of the booths at the second stage. And this thing is like huge. It's like regulation size poster. And I got Maria and Flavia to sign the poster. I still have it. So that happened. I didn't get any pictures. We didn't take cameras to shows. Just never really did that. So I don't have the pictures to prove it, but I got the SIGs to prove it. I don't pay for autographs online, like so I'd rather get the autograph and never have to buy one on if that makes any kind of sense. I'd, I'd have the experience in the whole thing. I'm sure a lot of you are like that. I'm not shaming you if you buy autographs online. But anyway, yeah, those were the two bands that we saw on the second stage. So that's what that two for represented right there. And of course, before that, we did Neurosis with Locust Star. Great live version right there. That is the heaviest I get, I think, of all time. Even just playing stuff on the show the heaviest Joey ever gets on this show is like Neurosis or Slayer or any of uh, Randy's other favorite bands. No, I'm just kidding. Not kidding, but kidding, nudge, nudge. And I guess like maybe like a Sepultura or something like that. But that's as heavy as I go. I don't really think I go outside those bounds, which is why you never hear a lot of black metal or death metal in this show. I'm just not a fan. And there wasn't really a whole lot of that at Ozfest at that point. That would change a few years later with all the trends and everything. But I'm looking over this lineup, and like I said, didn't get Manson. They said, as I see here, thank you, Wikipedia. Yes, I do lean on it sometimes. It says that Manson was added to the tour on the 15th of June. So he came in two weeks after the show we saw. And at the time, I would say Joey was definitely decently bummed about not seeing Manson. For sure, that that's legit. I'd be lying and a hypocrite if I said I wasn't bummed about that. And it says here, and honestly, I might have seen these bands live and it says Machine Head and Fear Factory played on the main stage. Now, I think Machine Head's okay. I'm all right with them. Fear Factory I could give a fuck about. I probably saw the whole Fear Factory set for all I know, but they're always just so forgettable for me, and I just don't like their band. I just I don't like the sound. I just They've never, never been for me, so there you have it. Uh, so those are the two main stage bands that I'm not going to play here on the show just because I... If I don't remember seeing it, then it doesn't count. That's just how it goes with me. And that seems to make sense, right? And it says on the wiki that this band was on the second stage, but I know for a fact, I guess probably prior to Manson getting added, this band was the opening act on the main stage that day when we went. 
this band that was coming on the up and up, a burgeoning band, band because of a show like this and hearing them on some compilations, probably some of those free concrete samplers. I was like, hey, this band's pretty cool. I kind of dig them. And this is, and in case you were curious before I play this track, to defend this band, especially on their first couple of releases, this is before every band in the world sounded like this. So at the time, I was like, these guys are really interesting. So I'll give them, I'll, I'll keep giving them a shot. They eventually became just pretty much a straight up metal band with industrial leanings. But at the time, I would, I would call it like rap metal or funk metal or something like that. Heavy metal solo has always been a favorite term of mine that 24-7 Spies coined. But yes, the opening band on the main stage was this new band from Boston called Power Man 5000. I don't even know at the time if I knew that Spider, the lead singer, was Rob Zombie's little brother. I'm sure I found that out at least at some point throughout that year because I was a Metal Edge reader, so that was definitely a learned fact at some point during that year because I would read all the articles about him. But I, I thought Power Man 5000 were cool. I thought they were good live. Not everybody was into them, but it was a gamble. But I, I thought it was cool, and I'm sure they got some new fans out of that day. And, of course, they'd blow up on the second album. But it was kind of nice to be like, hey, I was on the front end of this first album. Saw them the first time they ever played Dallas. I don't know that to be a fact, but it feels like that would have been the first time they played here. But, yes, we're going to get into another twofer right here, and I'll make it another surprise twofer at the end. But we'll kick things off with yet another track from the OzFest Live compilation. It just makes sense to do that because Power Man 5000 was on it. And this is also the audio that was on the home video if you ever bought that. And to which on that first OzFest, that's Power Man 5000 playing obviously in the parking lot on the second stage right there. He'll even make a reference to playing on the second stage during this track. But to kick off this twofer with the surprise second half once again, here is Power Man 5000 with a live version of Organized. Like a cold from a the blood of a thousand victims. A kitchen porn is a door ever since door. No need to knock on
stage is always where it's at. Second stage is definitely always where it's at. <laughs> But was never hit became that actual 7,000 words can fit out in rhyme And I got some truth But in the meantime I'm stepping from the floor It can turn it my way I don't know what life What can I say? Get an organism Get an organism Get, get, get an organism Get an organism Get an organism Enjoy the rest of the night. Get your free shit. I know it's out there somewhere. See you. The cross upon her bedroom wall. From grace she will fall An image burning in her mind Threatening between her thighs
Okay, there you have it. Yes, of course. Typo negative finishing out that double shot that we started off with Power Man 5000 doing Organized. By the way, do you know why that song was called Organized? It is not some sort of carny hip-hop thing. It's a straight-up reference to Taxi Driver, if you didn't know that. And that whole first album of Power Man's, Mega Kung Fu Radio, was just dripping in 70s references. There's Cheap Trick of Budokan getting sampled. There's a whole song about the movie Jaws. So, like, if you're a 70s guy, check out that record. It's really neat. And, of course, the Kung Fu Radio thing. Kung Fu being very big in the 70s especially. But, yes, after Power Man, we went right into Typo Negative, who, if I have this right, if my memory serves me correct, I think Typo Negative did somewhere between 45 minutes and an hour. But I want to say it was probably a good tight 45. And I think they played four songs in their whole set. It's like every song was about 10 plus minutes long, or at least just doing the song and then going into the next song. But I swear they played four or five songs tops in their set. But I guess if you ever saw them at a festival, that was the case. And I found some good audio of that. At least that's the best quality audio I could find from about 1997, them playing at some overseas festival doing Christian Woman, which is an obvious song, but man, that song was epic live. So I hope you enjoyed that live version of it at least. Like I said, if you never saw them, I don't think the audio could do it justice, but big typo fan, and it's a shame they're not around anymore. Okay, so getting into the last two songs here to represent OzFest 97. Now, I'm not going to do an Ozzy and a Sabbath song uh, for purposes of the fact that uh, there's a lot of Sabbath coming up, let's just say. So there's that. Also, just because of show structure, I've got a last song planned. And if I put it on the next concert chronology, it'll kind of screw up the order of things. And anyway, I have a whole plan here. So I'm going to start off this last twofer to represent OzFest 97, talking about, of course, Pantera, the kings of Dallas metal. And I have talked about Pantera before on this concert chronology. They were probably on the very first one I did, if not the beginning of the second. And I talked about seeing them open for Skid Row on the Slate of the Grind Tour right when Vulgar Display had come out. Talking about how just one of the best shows I ever saw was those two bands. And Pantera were just in their prime right then and there. And this concert chronology is going to expose something about me, which is very unfortunate, and it definitely is a regret, so let's just have it out here. I, for a Dallas-Fort Worth native, never saw Pantera a ton of times. And the really, really embarrassing thing is I never saw Pantera on a proper headline tour. I know, that hurts me to even say it out loud. I want to punch myself vulgar display style for even saying that and admitting it, but this show will reveal that truth. You'll eventually not hear me talk about going to see them at one of their headline tours. I saw them a bunch uh, as a special attraction opener and on festivals such as this, so I'd always see them play for about an hour on the average, but man... What an hour they would put in. They'd put everything they gave you, whether they're, I'm sure if they're playing one to three hours, they would never mail it in. There's just no way they did. Their reputation in the day definitely precedes them. So having them here, and that, that's the cool thing. I'm sure once Manson joined OzFest, he was probably playing second to last before Ozzy, but 
even at this time, it would totally just make sense if Pantera was playing before Ozzy every night on OzFest because they were the band that really flew that flag 1,000% throughout the 90s and made the world safe for metal, honestly. So to make it about them and not so much about me because I was embarrassing myself early on, Pantera here at OzFest 97, they are touring behind Great Southern Trank Hill. And by the way, I was just looking through all the Dallas shows that I didn't see. And I'm seeing how many times they actually did headline shows at that Dallas Fair Park Arena that I saw them with Skid Row. And so it's just, I, I should have gone to at least one of those. Obviously, I should have gone to all of them. I, maybe I had an excuse. Maybe they actually all sold out before I would have had a chance to get tickets. I don't know. But I'm sure there was a way for me to go. Anyway, moving on. Pantera here, OzFest 97. It was cool to see him again. I could definitely tell a big, huge difference in Phil between 1992 and 1997. What a difference five years make. And it's not that he was terrible, but he wasn't as good as he was during Vulgar Display. I don't think that that statement would be headlines. The band fucking ruled. I mean, everybody was on for sure. Uh, so they put in a fine set. So no real complaints seeing them here at OzFest. And I've never really been able to find out any proof of where some of the stuff from Official Live 101 proof was recorded at. But I had heard at some point that they did take maybe a song or two from the OzFest performance and put it on there. That could be just a rumor and innuendo, but... I remember getting it and being like, that's exactly how I remember hearing them. But of course, they were very consistent life. So who the hell knows? But clearly, I'm going to play something to represent the Pantera set from Official Live. And we're going to finish things off with Ozzy and specifically Ozzy Solo. And not that I didn't talk up the Black Sabbath reunion. So I'm going to talk about both things here. So when we had seen Ozzy a year and a half ago on the Osmosis tour at the beginning of that first Retirement Sucks tour... The lineup was Ozzy, of course. Joe Holmes on lead guitar, Geezer Butler on bass, and Randy Castillo was playing drums. Now, later on, I don't remember when this happened, but at some point, Randy Castillo was not playing with Ozzy, as far as my memory serves me. And then at some point, out of nowhere, Mike Borden from Faith No More is now the drummer for Ozzy. Which is weird, because I know for a fact that Borden was on this tour, because Borden wound up being the guy that played drums during the Sabbath set as well. And so really, with the Sabbath changeover, all you had to do was bring Tony Iommi out and replace Joe Holmes on stage. So that was really what they did, uh, the entire Ozfest. And I thought that was interesting. I guess maybe Faith No More had hung it up by that point. So Album of the Year came out in 97 and they toured it. I know that for sure. But I guess maybe they were done by that point or maybe he was doing both. I, I, I just don't know the timeline there. Uh, but it was Ozzy, Joe Holmes, Geezer Butler, and Mike Borden now on drums. And just so cool. Of course, seeing Ozzy again, he's got a whole new intro video, and it's always funny, and we all loved it. And, and this is still when Ozzy is just really shining. He's still really great live. And honestly, I know I've said this before, I think Joe Holmes is massively underappreciated in the history of Ozzy's lineups. He, he didn't have like this huge, great stage presence like Zach Wilde did, or honestly, any of the other guys that played guitar for Ozzy before that. But he is guilty of being an excellent, excellent guitar player. Like he is the guy that, to me, 
has been the only one to replicate Randy Rhodes solos to a satisfying degree for me personally. Everybody else, really good. I can't play those solos where the fuck, so I have no room to complain about the absolute spot-on replication of a Randy Rhodes solo. Not hating on any of those guys, Jake or Zach or anybody, or even Gus G, who I've seen. But for my money, Joe Holmes was the guy to play the Randy stuff. So it was always a pleasure when I would see Ozzy with Joe, and especially, of course, going anytime he plays anything from Blizzard of Oz or Dire of a Madman, it's quality anyway. But just hearing Joe just shred on those. And and once again, kind of like with the type of one, this isn't like the highest quality audio ever, but I had to include, once again, something from this particular lineup. Everything I just talked about now, we're going to play a twofer to represent both of these things. The Pantera set and the Ozzy set. We're going to kick things off with a track that they did play at the OzFest set, which would become the norm on this tour. It's basically a mashup of Domination and Hollow which did appear on the official live album because that's where I'm taking this audio from. And then we're going to close the two for off here with this particular lineup that I just talked about doing a really awesome version of Suicide Solution. Enjoy. You hear Rex's bass? Answer me, you hear the fucking bass? On the Cowboys from Hell album.
Okay, yes. Once again, I apologize for the not great audio right there, but even though the quality wasn't totally great on that, you could still hear how really awesome that lineup was, especially doing that tune right there, Suicide Solution. So that's the point I really wanted to make by playing that. And of course, Pantera Live from Official Live, great time, great live album right there. Just a quality metal twofer, and that's what you get here. A decent amount of time here on Rock Strikes 10, especially during the concert chronology episodes. And we've got one more show to talk about tonight on this particular volume, volume six. So right here, we might be getting into the psyche of why I might be a defender of this particular era of this band. So this is a band that was definitely a favorite of mine throughout the 80s. And I never gave up on them throughout the 90s. Never got to see them at all in their original run before there was turmoil in the band. I have already talked about this band on the show, so I had seen them with their replacement singer, and I talked about how much I loved that show. But I was super, super excited about the fact that Motley Crue was reuniting with Vince Neil in 1997. Now, I was bummed that Karabi was out of a job in a sense, because I had even heard a rumor, and I thought... I know this to be true because they confirmed it in the book at one point that they were going to try to make it work with both guys because of the fact, especially Mick had enjoyed the freedom allowed with a rhythm guitar player in the band finally. And so if they could have made that work, I thought it would have been really interesting because here's the other thing over time, like you could maybe even create even a bigger case for John Karabi to be the guy once again right now in the band and that's just a what if but man let's get back to 1997 so Motley's putting out Generation Swine which is a very maligned record so much so that almost any top 20 or 30 like worst hard rock and heavy metal albums of all time list you see that record on there consistently now, I would say it's probably a little more relevant to put it on a, you know, disappointing list, I suppose. But at the same time, I love most of Generation Swine. I've said this before on the show. I've been a big defender of it. I will continue to defend it. Hell, I even did the Generation Swine episode on BJ Cramp's podcast, Rock and or Roll. Go look that up. Great show there, Rock and or Roll. Uh, but yes, finally getting to see Motley with Vince. And also, this was the beginning of a beautiful, albeit short, love affair with the greatest music venue I have ever been to in my life, still to this day. And if you were from around here at the time of the existence of this venue, whether you moved away or you still live here and you went to that place, you still refer to this place with massive, massive love and reverence. So this was a place called the Bronco Bowl. And I suppose I should mention this. This was a mere 11 days after OzFest 97. So we're just all the way up here, June 12th, 1997. And whenever the tickets for this went on sale, I remember still seeing the full page ad for this show, like in one of the free weeklies, like the Met or the Observer or both. And it was like, tickets go on sale, blah, blah, blah. And I was in line at the Blockbuster Music. I remember that specifically to buy tickets for this show. And not even knowing anything about where Bronco Bowl was, I had read about it and seen the ad for it all the time in said free papers and being like, yeah, they have a lot of cool bands there. 
never been there. And the imaging of it has like these bowling pins on it. And I was like, oh, well, that's cute. So fast forward to us actually going to the show. By us, I mean Chris once again. So this is like still getting it mapped out and dialing up to the internet and getting a printout to find out where the hell this place even was. Thankfully, it was actually a little less than halfway to where we normally would drive. So it's like right at the beginning of Dallas. So we didn't have to go into downtown or anything. So that was great. I'll never forget like, exiting off to the street where it's supposed to be we're just following the directions and chris is navigating and we roll in there and we see the big sign that says bronco bowl and we just both look at each other and we're like that looks like a bowling alley <laughs> of course we park and then much like a bowling alley there's an automatic sliding doors it, yeah it's a bowling alley so the bronco bowl just to give you a little context here Yes, a big, huge two sides on each side of the building, big bowling alley on each side. There was like a bar. There was a full-fledged arcade and massive amounts of pool tables all over the place, all over the venue. I think they even had like a laser tag place. I, I never went in there. And they had a club called the Canyon Club inside of it. And then at the very end of the place, once you walk through the whole thing, there was this, like, as far as I know, I've looked it up a few times, a three to 4,000 seat little arena, like a theater, but bigger than a theater. And of course, smaller than a Coliseum, but just, it was just the perfect sized place. It looked great. It always sounded great in there, man. That was once again best venue i've ever been to and if you go look up the history there's fan pages dedicated to this online by the way i'm not even kidding i'm on one of the facebook groups and back in the day back in the 80s like motley played there during shout the devil when they started headlining the clash played there bowie played there multiple times so it was a heralded place so our first time there and we walk in our minds are just blown like what is this like and going well we're gonna be living here forever now this is this is our new home clearly to the point where we would actually just go sometimes when there weren't shows just to actually partake in bowling and playing pool and going to the arcade that became a really fun place to go to all the way up until it closed down but more on that later we're here for our first motley show and here's the deal if you go and look up ads for this and i can even i might even have to take a photo of the shirt that i bought at this show because it was the exact same thing as the full page ad and they're advertising that they're back and this is a very rare intimate show to which they will be performing the entirety of the new album generation swine and also an encore of hits so at least you know what you're in for i'm sure there are people that probably bought tickets that didn't know anything about that but they let you know about it it was not advertised falsely in the least this was a welcome back Vince kind of thing. And let's break them in again. And let's try out this new material in front of people. I like the idea. It'd be kind of neat if a lot more bands did this in a sense. So we're here. It's going to be my first album show. So not my last. Uh, I love album shows. And the other big thing about the advertisement on this particular run of shows, and I believe they only did like maybe like half a dozen shows uh, where they did this specifically where they play small places and do the whole album do the little encore of hits and they claimed that after the show 
there would be like a full-fledged meet-and-greet and Q&A session. I'm like, well, how's that going to work? So, But I just assumed that at some point we would all just, I don't know, just have a seat. They even said you have a chance to get on stage and meet the band and everything. Much like when I went to the KISS convention, they kind of advertised that as well. It really did kind of become a free-for-all by the end of it. So despite the fact that we got there like super early, so we're waiting in the hallway, which you could do before they would open the doors. We got to hear like the entire sound check, which basically consisted of the Nikki song and the Tommy song that were basically the solo songs on the record. So we heard the song Rocket Ship a whole hell of a lot. And we heard Brandon a whole hell of a lot ad nauseum. So getting to the show, me and Chris were there so early when the doors were open. We beelined and we got right in the front row. We are front row, kind of center, not so much center. But the cool thing is at the time, I'm a big, huge Nikki Six fan at that time. We were on Nikki's side of the stage. So it was fucking great. Uh, for what it's worth, I think the show was awesome. And that's probably getting into the whole thing about why I like Generation Swine so much. It's the nostalgia for a show like this, seeing them the first time with events. And the first time I heard any of this material was in a live setting, which I think a lot of these songs actually work very decently live. So because I had that journey with it, I feel like that's probably another reason why I'm such a big fanboy of this record, for the most part. It's got problems. But like I said, I like more of the record than I don't. There's songs that are obviously not great. And Brandon is terrible. It's absolutely embarrassing. I've said that before, too. For more on that, once again, go check out me on the Rockin' or Roll podcast. But it's late in the night, and I should wrap it up. Uh, long story long, didn't really get to meet any of the band. Didn't get to get any autographs from the band, which was kind of what was advertised. Getting through the q and A, it was just kind of just like a you rock with people on the mic kind of thing. And then the occasional person being brought on stage, probably friends of friends or, or whatever. So the, the ending of it was kind of anticlimactic, but like I said, the show was great. Uh, the four song hits encore was wild side primal scream, Dr. Feel good and kickstart my heart. So a damn strong encore. And we were all happy to hear it. Uh, a few other things of note about the show before I get to the song at the very beginning, if you've never seen footage from these particular shows, cause there's footage out there, there's good handheld. It's weird. They would of course open up with find myself and that consists of Nikki singing the first verse. And so at this time, what they're doing is as a way to welcome back Vince, he is lowered down to the stage on a chandelier and he's rocking back and forth on it. It looks very awkward and very scary, honestly. And it wouldn't lower all the way down to the floor. Like, I, I don't know if this was just something that happened wrong at this show, but I do have a memory of Vince actually like, getting down and dangling and hanging to get to the stage. Like he had to drop himself a good, you know, four to six feet probably, which could wind up breaking something. We don't know. And Vince has never been in the best shape, really. I mean, especially at this time, obviously post solo Vince Neil, not, not in the best shape consistently, but yeah. So I remember him dropping to the stage from the chandelier and to set up this song right here. I remember it was the spinal tap moment where they were going to roll out some big bannered flag that they had ready to go. But on the way to rolling out the big flag, which I, don't, I still to this day, I don't even know what that flag would look like. It immediately just broke off from the top thing and crashed to the floor. 
made a big thud. They all just looked back at it and was like, fuck it. <laughs> they just went into the song. So to represent this show, I found some good pro audio from the Generation Swine Tour in 1997. This is the band not playing in Dallas, Texas, unfortunately, but playing all the way over in Tokyo, Japan. And there's a, you can hear, you can find this whole full show on YouTube. So if you're curious about this tour, then go look up that specifically, the show in Tokyo in 1997. And it's a pretty good snapshot of the tour. There's actually a lot of good handhelds from the whole tour, but more on the arena tour later. Until then, we are going to close off the show with this live audio from Tokyo, from the Generation Swine Tour. This is Motley doing the title track, Generation Swine. Enjoy. All right, here's a, here's a song from our new album, Generation Swine. It's a song called Generation Swine.
Right, the crew right there with the title track Generation Swine live in Tokyo, Japan in 1997. That represents the Generation Swine show that I saw at the Bronco Bowl with Chris. It was a good time. I did manage to lift a couple of Generation Swine promotional posters from the venue. I don't think by any shitty means. I think they were actually just giving them out. So I do have a cool poster from that. Like I said, I bought the advertisement flyer shirt, which I still have. And it's in really good shape still. I'm sure it's probably worth a few bucks on eBay, but I've never bothered to look it up because I just don't feel like at this point selling off my show shirts because even if I don't wear them consistently, I I still like to have them. Nice little souvenir, of course, but hey, had a good time and that's the important part. And I hope that you have had a good time listening to me go on and on about these shows that I went to in exactly the year of 1997. We've got more 97 to get through on the next volume. I'll try to get it done sooner than later, but no promises. It's a lot to go into as far as digging in and making sure I'm doing the right order of things and everything to get to the next episode. But I love doing them, so I promise as soon as I can, I will bring you another one, volume seven. I know the next episode, at least what I got lined up, hopefully nobody will die between now and then. I've got some more odds and ends from this year here, this current year of 2023. So that's going to be exciting. It's going to be a whole different type of show versus what I just did on the latest episode of Odds and Ends. This last one was a little more punk rock leaning, and this next one's going to be pretty much mostly heritage, hard rock, and heavy metal and stuff like that. So we'll have a little bit of a theme to it. So I hope you stay tuned for all of that. And once again, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please check out all the other episodes. And to find out the way to do all that, stay tuned for the plugs featuring my better half, Nola, and followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. 
For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. And the I Am Vinyl Podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on Sirius XM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun. Postgame show is brought to you by Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Hey, what's up? This is Gwen from No Doubt, and you're hanging out on Z100. We give you their music every day. We're giving you tickets to their Wednesday show at Nassau Coliseum. And if that's not enough, how about we give you the sweaty shirt off Gwen's back? That's not right. Okay, we'll have it washed before we give it to you. <laughs> Thank you. If you're ready to style in one of Gwen's fashions, listen for your chance to call in. The call is important. And qualify with tickets to see No Doubt. Elvis and Elliot will pick a winner tomorrow morning. No Doubt. Win tickets and qualify to get the shirt off Gwen's back. And thanks for listening to Z100.